send them out. Every year I always think about, man, I've been doing this job for way too long, and your parents are thinking there's no way I can send my baby out. And uh, it's just uh, it's kind of a crazy way to think about it. And you know, one of the funniest things about those pictures isn't just the kids and seeing them when they're young. It's seeing their parents when they were young. Um, so, uh, yeah, just, um, just let's pray for them. Let's pray for them as they go out. God, we are thankful for who you are. And we're thankful for the way you guide and direct and the way that you use us as your tools, as your instruments. And God, we pray for each one of these students as they take that next step in life. They've reached this milestone. But God, as they take that next step to to go out into this world, that God, whatever they do and however they do it, they glorify you in it. God, you've given them big dreams. We have people that are wanting to work for ESPN. We have people who are, are wanting to go out into the third world countries to be doctors. We have those that are they're looking to get involved in the theater and those who are going to, to be working in the banking industry. There's so many different areas, and you've put us in different places for different reasons to reach out to people who do not know you. Use them, God. And don't just use them, God. Use us as well. Use the parents, use the friends, use the families to encourage them and to be encouraged to share your word. We pray it in your name. Amen. This morning, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, I had a whole message all ready to go. I'd been working on it all all week, we've been doing our chronological gospels, our chronological gospels. We've been taking each step, go through, go through, go through. Last week, we talked about uh, Jesus uh, after he had, he had healed the, uh, the leper, and then we went into him digging into the house, or not him, the, the guys digging the paralytic and dropping him into the, through the roof of the house, and then him going out, and everybody kind of following him. And now that he was being followed and stuff, he got Pharisees chasing after him. And this week was him healing on the Sabbath and breaking the, the rules of man and the rebellion. And we were going to tie that into all the cool stuff that we're going to tell these graduates to go out and rebel against the No. Um, but, um, you know, kind of laid this whole thing out. and was like, how is this going to work? And is, is it all going to happen? And, and something happened as I was uh, sitting there on Thursday, just kind of going, hmm. Just doesn't feel right. Maybe if you've ever taken speech class before and you knew that you were about to give a speech and about to do something, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right all week long, but I was trying to force it. And there's days when you force it, that's not a good thing. So I said, hey, all right, God, I'm going to kind of let you do your thing. I'm going to let you, you kind of challenge me. And uh, he put a challenge on me because at 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, I sat down on my computer and I started typing out a whole new message. A whole new everything. And uh, in that, it was, uh, it was more uh, inspired by not about this idea of, of even following chronologically uh, through the Gospels, but to, just to follow what God's called us to do. And that is to do something. To do something. Because how often in our lives are, are we challenged to do something and yet we don't because we talk ourselves out of it or we let somebody else talk ourselves out of it. And um, our whole phrase, everything we do, everything that we're a part of here at the church is come as you are, be changed, go change the world. And Jerome and I were talking this week and this is kind of where it all got stemmed from, this idea of the change that needs to take place and the change in even my message because we talked last week about going and changing the world. And, and Jerome said, I wonder if that sounds intimidating to people. Because really, it is, isn't it? I mean, the world's a big place, and I'm just a small guy. Why in the world would I want to go out and change the world when I can just 
sit in the safety of my church and in my home and in the realm of my friends and family, and that's it. And it made me think of a, a quote from Tom Brokaw when he was addressing a graduating class. He said this. He said, you are educated. Your certification is in your degree. You may think of it as the ticket to the good life. Let me ask you to think of an alternative. Think of it as your ticket to change the world. It's almost like he sat through a sermon or two about going out and changing the world. But see, so often we'll make excuses about why I can't do it yet. We all know we have potential. We've all been told we have potential. We've been challenged with that potential to go out and use it. And when we say, go use that potential, we think, hey, I need to get to this point before I can go change the world. I need to reach out and do this before I can go change the world. And if I have blank, whatever degree that might be, you know, maybe it's a high school degree, maybe it's a college degree, maybe it's whatever we fill that blank in before I can do something and change the world, we have to throw that out. Because that's not what God has called us about. You know, we have talked a lot about going and doing, but what keeps us from doing it? How does the church shake off that apathy? And when I mean the church, I mean the church culture across the board. I'm not just talking about our church or any church individual. I'm talking about the church culture. We have this apathy thinking, you know what, we're just going to move on. And if you want to know what an apathy is, it's just a lack of interest or enthusiasm or concern. We skip it. We feel like, oh, I just, I can't. Collectively, maybe as a whole, we can, but I can't. And when I'm not really hanging out together as a whole, because I only go every once in a while, I haven't really made those connections yet. And we have lots and lots of excuses. How do we shake that off? How do we break that rust? How do we go out and change the world? Because, you know, God has, has called us to do more than just live for ourselves. And so often, that is the teaching that the world gives us believe in yourself run out and do it shouldn't we believe in something so much more than just ourselves because you know i I joked last night and i think i caught everybody off guard because i didn't really explain it and that's a that's a gift that i have um but uh i said that believe in yourself thing it's a lie and everybody went (gasps) and i said "The, the reason why it's a lie is this because there is something much more to believe in. And, and I explained it even more so last night that if you watch American Idol, the reason why American Idol is successful is because people believe in themselves. And then they get up on screen and they fail miserably because they only believe in themselves. God has given us specific gifts to use, to reach out into areas. It doesn't matter how well I believe in myself because, you know what, I realize something. I am not a good singer. I've come to that realization. You know why I don't lead music on a Sunday morning? Because I can't. Okay, if I said, hey, we don't need Jerome, I'm just going to stand up here and I'm going to sing and then I'm going to speak. You know how many people would be here? Not even my family. That's how many people would be here. Okay, that's how bad it is. We have to come to the realization that God has put us in a place and he wants us to believe in him. And like I said, we've been going through this whole chronological thing. Well, Well, Jesus in his life would teach through parables. And he would say, hey, I have given you something. And sometimes people wouldn't quite wrap their mind around. So he'd teach in a parable so they would understand. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, this is the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, Jesus is kind of laying out this idea that if you are a Christian, 
If you are a follower of Christ, not somebody who's just scared to go to hell and said a prayer because you were afraid, because you've given Jesus Christ your life and made him the Lord of your life. If you've done that, it changes everything. And he has given us this thing called a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit has come in. Not everybody has every spiritual gift. We understand that. But everybody has at least one that is to be used. And look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had one, or who had received the one talent, went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now we go further into that, but what I want to show you is this. Is that as Christians, we have been given a talent. Now in this passage, it's talking about money. But for us, we've been given a gift to be able to do something. Anything. The question is, are we using it? Or are we burying it? Where do we fall in that? And this is the challenge to the graduates about taking that next step, about using what God has given you. But it's also a challenge to each and every one of us who wake up every morning and make an excuse not to do. Instead of saying, you know, I can do it another day. And we bury that talent over and over and over again. My question is, is what are you doing with your time and what are you doing with your talents? I'm not sure if you remember the beginning of this year. Um, it was funny, as, as God was kind of changing this whole message in me, I said, man, I could probably go and recirculate a message. When did I do that? Don't waste your life. And then I realized it was January and it might be a little too fresh for some of you. You'd be like, I've heard that before. You know? So I decided that we would take a different way. And as I was kind of laying it all out there, um, I, I think... We need to understand how really not to waste our life. How do we use the thing that God has given us? And how do we not make an excuse? What are some things that will challenge us and move us? And Friday night, uh, I got to go see Spider-Man 2. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that yet. It's good. It's really good, as a matter of fact. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. Camden and I went and saw it. And there's a handful of teaching points that were in it. And the funny thing is, is that in June, we start our summer movie series that we find the message in the movies, and I said, well, I can't jump too far ahead, but there were some teaching points in it that I really wanted to, to expand on, because I said, man, that is a message for the church. That is a message that is there, and I want to just give you a quick recap without spoiling the movie, but the movie itself is really more about Peter Parker right after he graduates college than Spider-Man itself. It's him finding himself. And I thought, wow, how ironic is this that I'm watching this the, week, or the, the Friday before the weekend that we honor our graduates, and God really hasn't given me any real direction on which way to speak. And all of a sudden I go see Spider-Man, and God's like, here it is. This is the direction you need to go. And I know you're like, Spider-Man, for real? And I'm like, yeah, for real. And I was going to go see Godzilla. I'm glad I didn't because I'd be talking about giant dinosaurs and <laughs> things like that instead. But, um, you know, if you look at the movie, if you watch it, and I, I would say it's, it's a good movie. It, it really is, is fairly clean, for, especially for a superhero movie. Um, it, it, it's all about a question that Aunt May asks Peter Parker at the end. And Aunt May asks him, he's, he's a little bit in a depressed state. He, she says, where are you going? Where are you going? 
And he's got a bowl of cereal in his hand. He says, well, I'm going to go eat my cereal. And she says, no, where are you going with your life? And it's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves. Where are we going with our life? Do you ever stop and wonder that for yourself? Where am I going? What am I doing? How can I be used for God? Because the purpose of life is not about us. It is to glorify God. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? What is it going to take? Andy Stanley wrote a book called The Principle of the Path. And in The Principle of the Path, he says, your direction, not your intention, is what leads to your destination. Your direction, not your intention, is what leads to your destination. And that is clear in every aspect of life. Let's just use one example. You want to be debt-free. That is a great intention. But if your direction is leading you to charge things on credit cards over and over and over again, your direction is going to lead you to your destination, not your intention. Because though you may intend to be debt-free, if you don't actually do something to head in that direction, you're never going to get there. And it goes that way in every aspect of our life. So where are we going? What are we spending all of our time on? If you go online, you can find all kinds of things that talk about all the things we spend our time on. If you live to be 70 years old, you're going to spend this many years of your life doing this. I'm just going to share a couple of them with you. One of them is, is if you live to be 70, you realize you're going to spend one-third of your life asleep. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Um, and then you're going to spend the rest of your life kind of yeah, wishing you were asleep. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're also going to spend four years of your life eating. Four years of your life eating, ten years of your life watching television. And maybe that four years and ten years might intersect a few times here and there. You're going to spend a year and a half of your life cleaning. And if you have kids, I think that multiplies by ten. And if you have kids with Legos, it multiplies by twenty. You're going to spend four years of your life driving. Driving. And in that four years, you're going to spend driving, you're going to drive almost 800,000 miles. That's enough to drive you to the moon and back three times. And where are you going as you drive? Where are we going? What are we doing? You know the one that really tossed me for a loop? Is that in 2010, the average person spent two hours, two hours of their life, every day, online, on their computer. At the same time, they spent 24 minutes of their life on their phone, not making a phone call. That was 2010. 2013, still spend two hours of our life, every day, not that third of it that you're sleeping, but two hours of your life, every day, on your computer. But now you also spend two and a half hours of your life on your phone, not making a phone call. So four and a half hours of the 16 hours that you were awake, you're either on your computer or on your phone. Do you realize they have estimated that you spend, uh, or you check your phone 150 times a day? That is an average. 150 times a day. You break that down by the fact that you sleep eight hours since a third of your life is asleep. You sleep eight hours, so you have 16 hours awake, 150 times. Doing the math there, that's 10 times an hour. So once every six minutes, you're checking your phone. A little crazy, isn't it? 
What are we spending our life doing? Where are we going? What is the point of all of that? Have you ever wondered why they call it spending your time? Because when you use the word spending, it means that you're doing what? You're giving it to get something in return, correct? What are we getting in return? For all the hours we're doing something. What are we getting? What are we buying into? How do we encourage each other and others to do something with our lives? Because I very seriously doubt when we are 70 years old, we're going to look back and say, man, I sure am glad that I spent two hours a day on my phone. That made my life so complete. What is it that we can turn around and say, because nobody says, I want to waste my life. I just can't wait to waste it. I can't wait. I have all this time I don't know what to do with. I'm just going to kill it. I'm just going to kill all this time. No, we're going to say, I want to do something. But we get distracted. We get pulled off to the side. We have other things that come up, and before you know what, that day is gone. And then the next day is gone, and the next day is gone. And we just get busy doing the routine things, and we forget that God has given us something to live for. And maybe you think, I'm not big enough to do anything big. I'm not big enough to change the world. And I want to challenge you that that's not the truth. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a small clip from Spider-Man 2. And it's not going to spoil the movie. I promise. So watch this just for about 50 seconds. Go. Please. 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 gets it away, huh? Look, this is pretty important, Max. How do you know my name? It's written on your badge. I'm a nobody. Hey, you're not a nobody. You're somebody. Like that. Listen to me. Now I need you. You're my eyes and ears out here. All right? All right. I'll stay out there. You're not a nobody. You're a somebody. And through the whole movie... Max plays a a huge role in trying to be a somebody. And if you see the movie, you'll do it. I'm not going to ruin it for you. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's a great clip. Because how many of us think, you know what, there's no way I can do anything. I'm just a nobody. I, I can't. I can't do that. But yet God says, hey, I created you for a reason. Psalm 139, Jerome read from Psalm 138 to, to open the service. But Psalm 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who created us before he even had everything else in mind. He had us in mind. Before the heavens and the earth were created, he knew we were going to be here. He had a purpose for us. And that purpose is to lift him up and change this world. That was our purpose. That is our purpose. We are not an accident. We're not just here to, to waste time. And as we head out into this world, whether it be a college graduate or a high school graduate or somebody who's just going to walk out that door and get ready to go to lunch, we are here to change the world. We are here to take that next step. And that world, we look at, we say, man, the earth has got 6 billion, 7 billion people. And how can I change the world? You have a world that surrounds you. 
You have friends. You have families. You have coworkers. That is your world. Change that world. Change those people by introducing them to who Jesus Christ is. And how do we do that? How do we get ourselves to say, how can I change it? How do we encourage somebody? How do we encourage ourselves? I have five questions I want you to ask. And I'm not going to be able to give you the answers to them because the answers are your answers. But this should encourage us on how to change the world. The first question is this, is what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? You see, John 10.10 tells us, a thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you guys know what the word abundantly means? It means overflowing. Jesus came to give us life overflowing. You know what one of the biggest oxymorons out there is right now? Happy Christian. How many people do you know that are Christians that have a frown on their face all the time? They look like they're constipated. <laughs> Let's just be honest, okay? It's like, mm, they're just walking. You're like, are you happy to be at church this morning? I sure hope the heck you are. Because we're here to celebrate the joy that Christ has given us. And yet people walk around like, oh, I have to do it. He never came to say, I came so that you would have begrudging, stubborn obedience. That was not it. He said, I came to give you life and give you life to the fullest. Life in abundance. But yet, if you work in the restaurant industry, everybody that does knows that Sunday is the worst day to work at a restaurant because all those Christians that just got out of church worshiping their God come in and are like, grumbling and moaning and got like that. Look, it's not what it's about. Let's change our world. What do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? What makes it worth living? You see, God gives us the blessings in our lives. And the first and biggest blessing he has given us is Jesus Christ. Everything else he has given us is icing on the cake. And you know what? I'm not up here to say that we need to chase after those things, but those things aren't bad things. Going on vacation, not a bad thing. Having a nice house or nice cars, all those things are not bad things. As a matter of fact, those are good things that God has blessed us with. But as Mark Driscoll says, if you were a part of our marriage conference with us a couple of, couple of months ago, if you weren't and you want to watch it, we have it on DVD. But one of the things he kept saying over and over again is when a good thing becomes a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing. See, God has given us the blessing, but when we chase after those blessings instead of chasing after the blesser, we chase after the gift rather than the giver, that's when it becomes a God thing. And when it becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. It's okay to have those things, but remember who gave it to you. Because when we find our joy in those things, when those things are gone, what happens to our joy? It's kind of like this yesterday. It's funny because, like I said, it was one of those things that I still hadn't, by yesterday morning, I was kind of freaking out thinking, hey, I got service at 6 o'clock tonight. As a matter of fact, when I sat down on my computer at 2 o'clock, Christy goes, you have three hours. And I'm like, I know. And I'm just, 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 that's it. I'm just typing away, getting ready. I'm like, I got to get this all. Two things were made very clear as we drove home. We were at Amarillo uh, for our uh, nephew's first birthday. And um, we're driving down the road, and Christy pointed out this neighborhood that was kind of run down. She goes, that's kind of funny. Because that neighborhood used to be the neighborhood that all the rich kids from my high school lived in. And now look at it. And I thought to myself, yeah. 
How often is that one of the things we chase after? Is, is having the bigger house and having the better house, and yet 20 years later, it's kind of the run-down neighborhoods. Not quite as much as we chased after. Uh, the other thing is, is, as we were getting off at Alameda and I-25, uh, a, uh, a Ferrari Testarossa pulled up next to us. And if you uh, were a fan of Miami Vice in the late 90s, and, or late 80s, early 90s, uh, you'll know what a Ferrari Testarossa is. It was like the coolest car ever because Don Johnson drove one when he had his cool white jacket on and light blue T-shirt and white pants and no socks with alligator shoes on. You were like, I want to be Don Johnson. That's awesome. And, and, and that was the car that he drove with the Ferrari Testarossa. And when it pulled up next to him, I'm like, hey, Cam, check it out. It's a Ferrari. And he's like, oh, man. And then I started looking at it and I went, that car's really not that cool. Like it was 25 years ago, 30 years ago when it was, you know, new. But now it's just a, I mean, it's still got a horse on it and probably pretty fast still, but it's just a, it's a 1989 car. But think about the people that that was what they chased after. To give them their joy, to give them everything that they needed. And yet, now it's not so much. What's the one thing we can chase after? The one thing that we can pursue that is eternal that we'll never lose? How does Jesus Christ That is the joy. What is it that we enjoy doing to bring glory to God? That is the first question we need to ask ourselves. Second question is this, is what is it you do well? What is it you do well? See, God, like I said, has given us each one gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. What are you doing with that one gift you've been given? At least one gift that you've been given. What is it that has changed you to say, I want to do this? You see, Like I said, I have some gifts, and I have some not-so-great gifts. Um, I have some abilities that God has given me, and I have some things that, mm, doesn't matter how hard I try, I'm never going to succeed at it. Like I said, singing is one of them. It's just not going to happen for me. Even if I went to voice lessons, the voice teacher would say, "Mm, get out. You know, that would be be the, the, the way that they would approach it. There's some things that God has said, use your gifts, use your strength, and guess what? Build your team around you to expand your weaknesses. Jerome is amazing at what he does. We are very blessed as a church to have Jerome be our worship leader. And I'm not saying that because he's sitting back there and just trying to puff his head up or anything like that. I, I, I am very serious. He does a great job with it, something I could never do. See, God didn't say, you have to do everything. Just do what I've given you the ability to do and do it well. Go out and do it well. And that's what we're supposed to do is serve others. Third thing, third question, what bothers me? What bothers me? If you ever think of anything, man, that is not right, somebody has got to do something about that. You know who that somebody is? It's you. God has put that desire in your heart. The things that break Your heart are probably the same things that break his heart. And he's created you to do it. Now, Matthew West has a new song out called Do Something. That I'm not a real big fan of songs that that talk to you. Uh, And what I mean, I mean literally talk. Like they, instead of singing, they just talk with music in the background. And I'm not talking about rap. I like rap music. I'm talking about somebody who just talks, sings. I I don't particularly like that. But this song, for some reason, is annoyingly right. It's one of those ones you're like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I don't like what you're saying. Because he says in there, he says, God, there's somebody on the corner and they're hurting. How is that possible? How could you let that happen? You need to do something about it. And he says in the song, I did. I created you. 
How often do we forget that? That God has created us to do something. And we look in Scripture and we see it so often that when somebody's heart broke and they went after it, God used them. You look at somebody like Nehemiah who went and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem because he had a passion that was inside of him saying something is wrong here. You look at Moses. He had a passion to say something is wrong here and the Israelites need to be out of captivity. You look at somebody like Daniel. He had to eat vegetables and water because he saw something wrong with all of his people eating off the king's table. That is torture, okay? But yet, he went through it, and he got stronger because of it, and he did exactly what God called him to do because he had a passion for it. Number four, what opportunities are in front of you right now? What opportunities are in front of you right now? And I emphasize right now. Because too often we say, well, there's an opportunity, but. No, no buts. Right now. What is in front of you right now? How many times do we go to God with our plans versus our hands? How many times do we go to God with our plans saying, God, I will do this as this all progresses and saying, God, here are my hands. Use me for what you have to use me for. Isaiah 55, verse 8 It actually says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And we see that passage so, excuse me, so often. We say, yeah, God's ways are higher than mine. God's thoughts are higher than mine. And it is perfectly true. But we forget to look at the entire context of what's going on. I'm going to go back to verse 1. As he's laying out, Isaiah is laying out this idea that there is a Messiah who is coming. He's coming to save us and to turn our lives back over to God. Look what it says, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? That sounds kind of familiar what we're already talking about, doesn't it? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, a nation that did not know you shall run to you. For because of the Lord, your God, and the Holy One of Israel, he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man in his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Too often we tell God what we will do instead of asking God what we can do for him. Too often. The final question is this, who? Who will you live for? What will you live for? The answer to this question really affects the other four questions if you think about it. Because if the other questions are all, or if this question is all about me, those other four questions really don't matter. It doesn't matter what you enjoy. It doesn't matter what bothers you if it's all about you. But when it's about God and glorifying God, we have this filter that is on us. We have eyes that can see just a glimpse into what Jesus and God sees. We have these ears that can hear just a glimpse of what they hear. We have the feeling in our heart and in our chest that makes us feel what they feel. And that changes 
everything. That is how we glorify God with our lives. We don't have to live temporary and chase the temporary. We can live and chase the eternal, no matter what happens, whether we're rich or we're poor or we're healthy or we're sick. It doesn't matter because to be God be the glory. It changes everything. I want to end with this, and it actually also comes from Spider-Man too. Gwen Stacy, Peter Parker's girlfriend, was a valedictorian. And she gave a speech that I was sitting there listening going, yeah. But I was listening to it in a different way because I heard some words in there that the world will toss around, but within the church, we see it as true, actual hope. And of course, I'm not sitting in the movie theater writing it down word for word. I'm like, there's got to be some guy out there that's just a Spider-Man fanatic, and he's probably got some web page that he has, um, and and it was real. It was actually Spider-Man web page that I found this on that he typed out the thing, and I said, thank you for being a nerd. And and, uh, I got to to steal it from his web page, and this is what it says. And I'm going to read it to you the first time, and in the process of reading it to you the first time, I want you to hear it for what it is that they are talking about. And then the second time, I'm going to add the way it really is. She said this, It's easy to feel hopeful on a beautiful day like today, but there will be dark days ahead of us too. And there will be days where you feel alone. And that's when hope is needed most. No matter how buried it gets or how lost you feel, you must promise me that you will hold on to hope. Keep it alive. We have to be greater than that which we suffer. My wish for you is to become hope. People need that. And even if we fail, what better way is there to live? As we look around here today, all the people who have helped make us who we are, I know it feels like we're saying goodbye, but we'll carry a piece of each other into everything we do next to remind us of who we are and what we're meant to be. And as I listened to that, I went, yes. But when they throw the word around hope out there, what do they mean? What does the world outside the church mean for hope? Because within the church, the word hope is strictly Jesus Christ. And let's read it with that in mind. It's easy to feel hopeful on a beautiful day like today. You know, when we have blessings in our life from Jesus Christ, it's easy to feel hopeful. But there will be dark days ahead of us too. And there'll be days where you feel alone. And that's when we need Jesus Christ most. No matter how buried he gets or how lost we feel, you must promise that you will hold on to Jesus Christ. Keep him alive. We have to be greater than that which we suffer. My wish for you is to become Jesus Christ because people need that. Wow. Huh. And if we fail, what better way is there to live? As we look around here today, all the people who helped us make us who we are, I know it feels like we're saying goodbye, but if we carry, but we will carry a piece of each other into everything we do next to remind us of what we are and what God has meant us to be. Because that's what hope is. Hope is Jesus Christ. There's so much more than what the world chases after because the world chases after stuff that is temporary. And we've been in that rat race and maybe you're in the middle of that rat race and we're chasing after the temporary things and hoping those temporary things last just long enough to the next temporary thing. But Jesus Christ is eternal. There's got to be more than life more to life than just gathering up stuff that eventually, someday, our kids will sell an estate sale for pennies on the dollar. Let's just be honest with it. 
I'll end with this last thing. You know, Christian actually talked about this yesterday as we were driving back because we like to collect stuff and everybody has their own stuff they like to collect. But when it comes right down to it, and let's say you had to turn around and sell it for some reason, how, how are you going to be able to sell it? I mean, we watch Antique Roadshow every once in a while, right? And we know that somebody's going to find it at a deal at a garage sale and buy a bowl that was $2 here and be able to sell it for $2 million here, that Chinese bowl that sold a couple of years ago. You know, th- those kind of things are an anomaly, but somebody still sold it for 2 bucks because they had no idea. My... Uh, my parents, they, they have lots of stuff. They have a large house, and, and uh, they, they are, are uh, well off, and, and they help us out quite a bit, which is great. But uh, my, my stepmom, she loves a thing called Longer Burger Baskets. Anybody ever heard of Longer Burger Baskets before? A few of you probably have. Um, uh, they're uh, an expensive basket. Um, to me, they're still a basket. Uh, I'm just going just gonna to be honest with you. They're still a basket. Um, but... Like the cheapest ones, these little tiny ones, are like $60. Little tiny basket. I mean, we're talking woven basket, 60 bucks, And the big ones are outrageous. I'm guessing, and, and I'm not doing pastoral swelling numbers here. I'm really seriously guessing my stepmom has about 1,000 of them. Yep, see? <laughs> Peyton's been there. We've kind of went, holy smokes, there's a lot of baskets in this house. And um, I, I'm, not, I'm not making the number up because in one room we counted 95. And we were like, wow, there's a lot of baskets in here. And they had, uh, in the last few months, have made Christy the executor of the, of the will. And uh, one of the things that, if anything were ever to happen to them, you know, here's everything, you get to do it all. And I said, how in the world are we going to get rid of 1,000 baskets? Because we don't have room in our house for a thousand baskets, um, I think we're kind of maxed out at the ten baskets that we have. But to to, to do a thousand, it's like okay, what are we going to do with this? It's not like we're going to sit down and we're going to catalog out every basket. And I'm going to say, oh, okay, let me get the uh, Longerberger price guide and uh, find March of 2010 the uh, you know woven basket and um, write it down. And say, okay, that one's sixty dollars. Uh, I'll put it on eBay for four. I can't do that with a thousand baskets. What am I going to do with them? Well, I'm either going to say, give me a price and I'm going to give it to you, or I'm going to say, here's a basket, here's a basket, here's a basket. Hope you enjoy a basket. You know, that, that, everybody's graduation gift, here's a basket. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't, you just, it's like, what do you do? But we have this tendency to do that, and I just use that as an example because I do it too. We collect stuff, and we just bring all this stuff together, and we chase after those things. Once again, stuff isn't bad, but when it becomes our God thing versus just a good thing, that's when it becomes a bad thing. What are we chasing after? Where are we going? What is life? We need to do something. See, we were created for a purpose, and it wasn't to collect stuff. It was to go glorify God and change the world. So let's do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us so very much. Thank you that your son was willing to come down, put on human flesh, live a life, and guide us. To show us how to live, to speak into our lives, but then not only that, 
to die on a cross so that we might live and have an eternal relationship with you. God, help us stop chasing after the temporary and instead chase after you to pursue you, to glorify you, and to change this world. No matter if we are young or if we are old, you've told us that if we are not dead, then we are not done. God, use us right where we are at to change our world in order to go out and change more and change more because that's exactly what Jesus did. He changed the world of 12 guys who went out and changed the world from there. God, use us in that same way. We pray it all this morning in your name. Amen.